Well, good morning. It's great to be together as the church this morning um, in this unique way to join together and continue uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit to see God, to know Him. As we've already sung and we've already prayed together, I pray that God would lead us uh, in our time together in His Word this morning. My name is Joel Fair. I'm an elder here at Cross Point Coast, and it's my uh, honor and privilege this morning to lead us in God's Word as we launch this new series. Our, our series for the next um, two months is going to be a series titled, The God You Can Know. Our passage today is in Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 9. So if you would find that in your Bible so that when we get there, you're ready to read along with us in a few moments. That's Galatians chapter 4. Verses 4 through 9. For the next two months, we'll be looking at who God has revealed Himself to be in His Word. And we'll be guided by the question from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And the question is the fourth question in the Catechism, and it says, What is God? This is a question that we all ask, and it's deep in the heart of every human being because we are all made in the image of God, and so we long to know Him. And our search for significance and meaning is our longing to know God. But sadly, for many, the question is never even formulated or asked, and so the answer is never found. For those of us who are not familiar with catechism, it is the summary of principles of the Christian religion in the form of questions and answers. And for ages, It's been used for the instructions of Christians, both young and old alike. Uh, The historical church practice, this historical church practice teaches us to ask and answer questions that shape our knowledge of God. As Christians, many of us have asked the question, who or what is God? And it has been revealed to us through the Bible, God's Word. Whether this is your first time that you've thought about it, or maybe it's the millionth time that you've pondered on who God is, we're encouraged every time we focus and look to Him. So let's ask the question together. What is God? The answer given in the Catechism is this. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, His wisdom, His power, His holiness, his justice, his goodness, and his truth. This is one definition of what and who God is. This definition points to his greatness and his beauty, and and that the catechism, the, the confession of faith, is drawn together by searching Scripture, and it's withstood the test of time. And so we have this beautiful, succinct definition of what God is. Now, God can't be contained in that small definition. He's bigger. He's more majestic than that. However, it does point us to who He is and gives us a glimpse of Him and gets us started with the answer to the question. As we learn about the different aspects or attributes of God, we get a picture of His character and we know Him better. Similar to meeting a new person. We all have that person that we've met maybe recently and the more time we spend with them, The more we see them interact in circumstances and situations, the more we begin to truly know them. Our hope is that during this series, 
as we look at God and His being and wisdom, His justice, truth, and holiness, His goodness and His power, we will see God for who He truly is and be awed by Him. That we'd be in awe of His majesty and His magnificence. I pray that we'll be reminded again of that this morning and that our knowledge of God will lead to our worship of God. That as we are informed, we would worship truly in spirit and in truth. So let's read our passage together in Galatians 4, 4 through 9. Please follow along as I read. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? Let's pray. God, we are so grateful. We're grateful in this unique moment for the opportunity to share the Word of God with each other, to speak it to each other, to have it be an encouragement to us. Lord, we're grateful for the access we have to Your Word, for for great teaching, for sound doctrine, that we can go to the Internet and we can log into a class or or read a commentary, or a reference, and and see who you are. God, what a gift that we would have all of that available to us. And yet, Lord, we confess, often we run to lesser things. Often we chase after knowledge of something that is weak and worthless, and yet, Uh, You, by your grace, continue to draw us back to yourself. And so we thank you for it, Lord. We rejoice in that this morning. Lord, our prayer is that today we would hear um, why it's important to know God as we prepare to, to look at you in these seven different aspects of your beauty. God, that today we would we would long for it. We would hope for it. Our appetites would be wet for knowing you, for tasting you, for seeing you. Lord, we thank you that you promised that uh, when we hunger and thirst to know you, you give us yourself. So Lord, I pray that uh, today, as we sit and watch this together, Lord, that whether we are in a room uh, with lots of kids, or we are in a room with just our spouse, or we are in a room alone, pray that we would know that we're not alone, that we would know that we gather together with all those who believe in Christ, that we are united as one, and we have an identity, a corporate identity as the church. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of that this morning, that that would bring us joy, that it would push out any ideas of loneliness and isolation, Lord, and we would remember that we have been grafted into the body of Christ. Christ our head. Lord, I pray that that would be good news for us this morning. Lord, show us who you are. 
pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would have eyes to see your face, ears to hear your voice this morning. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for longing to know us as we long to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to start in the middle of the passage, which is a little bit crazy. But if you'll bear with me, I think we'll be able to, to get to the whole thing. So this morning we're going to be in, um, looking at three things in the passage. And these three things are, are gifts that we've been given as believers because we know God. So in verse 7 and 8, we're looking, Paul is reminding the Galatian church of their identity. Read 7 and 8 with me. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son than an heir through God, and formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. One of the benefits of knowing God is that it sets us free. The knowledge of God opens our eyes to our identity that we have as sons and daughters, and it displaces any former identity we were enslaved to. A.W. Tozer is really helpful, um, and he'll be helpful throughout this series. He, he wrote a book called The Attributes of God, and he has several other books. And He was a minister in the early part of uh, the 1900s, and he was a minister in America, and he writes in his Attributes of God, we educated Americans can create gods just the same as the heathen can. You can make a god out of silver or wood or stone, or you can make it out of your own imagination. And the God that's being worshipped in many places is simply a God of imagination. He's not the true God. He's not the infinite, perfect, all-knowing, all-wise, all-loving, infinitely boundless, perfect God. He's something short of that. Christianity is decaying and going down into the gutter because the God of modern Christianity is not the God of the Bible. I don't mean to say that we do not pray to God. I mean to say that we pray to a God short of what he ought to be. We've got to think of God as being the perfect one. Thankful for Tozer and and just drawing that out. You see, these imagined gods that he's speaking of are the same same ones that we read about in verse 8, where it says we were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. They're not real gods. They're imagined gods. But we're free from needing to create our own god Because God has revealed himself to us. We don't need to create our own God because the one true God has done all of the creating. He made something out of nothing and then he said it was good. We no longer need to be slaves to ignorance and confusion. Mystery and wonder, yes. Yes, we will still have mystery and wonder, but not in a way that enslaves in a way that brings freedom to plumb the depths of the knowledge of God. And we echo Paul in Romans 11.33 where he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. As we begin to know God, it frees us from having to imagine our own God because he opens our eyes to who he really is. That's the first benefit. He sets us free. Let's continue in the passage in verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, 
or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Another gift we receive as believers is this. Knowing God becomes our greatest reality. We cannot go back to lesser realities to define who we are when we know God and we're known by God. Again, Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, helps us when he writes, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. As we grow in our knowledge of God, both breadth and depth, head knowledge leading to heart affection, that knowledge shapes all of our understanding. It shapes our cognitive thought. It shapes our emotional response. It shapes even our perception of circumstances. It gives them all a proper perspective. But we must be careful because we as consumers, we can get caught up in a knowledge about God. It's different from a knowledge of God. This knowledge about God would be a head knowledge that can lead to being arrogant or puffed up if that was all it was and it stopped there. But if that knowledge about God becomes knowing God, it leads to relationship. The head knowledge becomes heart affection, love and enjoyment of God. The beauty of it is Paul has already illustrated that in this passage. We are no longer a slave but a son. You see, a slave has a knowledge of the master, a knowledge about the master, but the son knows his father. The son finds joy in the father's lap and delights in the father's presence, and the father rejoices in the son. See, that's, that's the other gift that we have there. It says that God knows. This is one of, our, one of his attributes, his omniscience. He's all-knowing. He's the only one who fully and completely knows. And what does it say that he knows? In verse 9, he knows us. We are fully known by the creator of the universe. That's both awe-inspiring and and fear-inspiring. Like There's there's a reality that I'm not sure I want to be known by the creator of the the universe, and yet he knows me fully. And this understanding of our identity then informs the rest of our life, all of it. The reformer Martin Luther describes knowing God like seeing through a lens that covers the fullness of our perception of everything. The thought processes we use become influenced by the knowledge of who God is and who we are in Christ. As I think and I plan I do it with the understanding of who I am in Christ and trust in His plan. That He is working in the world for His glory and that His glory, that's ultimately my good. Not only our thoughts, but also our emotions are then shaped by the truth of this new identity. You see, instead of uh, reacting in anger or frustration because this thing, whatever it is, my career, a friendship, my parenting, Right, this hobby that I have, whatever it is, whatever it is that I'm doing, that thing doesn't define me anymore. Lastly, I see the real circumstances of life as they truly are. Not only how they affect me, 
but through the lens of the trust in a sovereign, all-powerful, mighty God. And knowing God, which is what we've been told we do, we, we, we have this knowledge of God, why would we ever run back to trusting in weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Why would we look to those worldly principles to define us? We, use edu- we, we could revert to leaning on, say, education to define who we are. We use education for a lot of things. We use it to gain status and prestige, uh, simply to get the next qualification or certification so that we can get a bigger paycheck. This is the base and elementary principle that we have been freed from. If I'm free, now instead education becomes a sweet thing that I can use to increase my knowledge of God and understanding of who He is. And it even helps me to better articulate this to others, to my neighbor, to my family, to my children. So instead of education defining me, it opens the door to enable me to point others to God, my greatest reality. You need to know that right understanding of God is the only means you have of truly understanding who you are. Knowing God really does become our greatest reality, but it's not a one-time experience. It's not a, a one and done. We have to be reminded, and we have to remember and tell myself and others that this is true. The beauty of God's design is that He's purchased for Himself not isolated believers, but a church, a community, a body. And as a church, we get to recall together that we have this reality. It's true. When I forget, you remind me who God is, and we remember together what we have in Christ. This has to happen often because we forget, or, or just sometimes the other realities become so loud we can't even hear this one. But God has given us brothers and sisters to cut through the noise, to point us to His Word and to remind us of His love. Paul reminds us of this gift that we have in the church in Ephesians 14, or 4, 15, and 16. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the reality that we have. And it's the reality that it's, it's our greatest reality and we need to remember it constantly. We need to be reminded constantly and God's given us the church to do that together. Let's go back and read the first verses of the passage again. Verse 4 through 6. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The third benefit we get from knowing God is this. Knowing God transforms us into worshipers. Paul is reminding the church in Galatia of the gospel work of Jesus. He points to Jesus being sent by the Father in verse 4. He was born of a woman. 
He lived a, a real life, a righteous life as a, as a fully human person. He walked in complete obedience. And then he worked righteousness on behalf of believers who trust in him. He did this to redeem us who lived under the law and had transgressed the law and deserved the penalty due our sin. But Jesus died in our place and paid the debt for that sin. That, the debt that was owed, that debt was death. He died and rose again that he might be the firstborn of many and we might receive adoption. Because of the work of Christ, we can know the Father. We can know him in a way that we call him Abba Father. Having children myself, uh, I know the intimacy of being called Daddy. Now because Almighty God humbled Himself and dwelt among us to redeem us, I can call Him Daddy. As our understanding of who we are is shaped by God, and what Jesus has done to reconcile guilty sinners, our only response can be that of gratitude and praise. We rejoice in the person and work of Jesus, our Savior, and make much of His gospel, giving glory to God in all of our existence. And by knowing Jesus, we know God. I want to point us to two passages that clearly show this. First, Paul in his letter to the Colossian church tells us that Jesus is the image of God and the fullness of God. In, first, in Colossians 1, 15 and 19, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Also, in Hebrews, as the author opens the letter to the Hebrews, he writes, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus is the fullness of God. He is the radiance of God. If we know Jesus, we know God. And He's come, and He's made Himself known to us. And out of that knowledge, we become worshipers because we remember what He has done for us. And out of gratitude, we worship with our whole lives. Knowing God, His attributes and His beauty, the power of His Spirit, the radiance of His Son, all of this knowledge leads to praise and worship. And I'm not just talking about a song on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about our lives, paying bills. The mundane becomes worship to a holy and righteous God. All of it. So to recap, knowing God sets us free from slavery to things that are not God, to those former identities that we have. We are free from that. Knowing God also permeates all of life and becomes the greatest reality 
and truth that we have. And finally, knowing God and the gospel work of the Son transforms our lives into worship. Let's pray that knowing who God is will stir our affection for Him, renew our wonder at His beauty, and increase our gratitude for His grace. Amen? you pray with me? God, you are good. You're good and you have given us the gift of knowing you. So Lord, we thank you for that gift. We pray that you would, by the power of your Spirit, stir in us joy, stir in us gratitude, stir in us worship out of the gift of knowing you, that we would not run back to other things, that we would not be distracted, but we would press into the greatest reality we have of knowing God. And that that reality would transform the way that we act, the way that we speak, the things that we do. God, that we would worship you in every area of life. God, I pray for the next several weeks that you would uh, stir in us a desire to read your word, to know who you are, to have conversations about you with our neighbors and our families, to encourage one another with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, that we would see your face, your radiance in Jesus. Lord, that we would understand the fullness of God dwelling in human form in the person of Jesus. God, I pray that all of these things would happen and that you would grow your church both in uh, breadth and depth, Lord, that we would become a church that believes the Word of God, that longs to know our God, and that longs in knowing God to make Him known. Lord, I thank you for doing these things. We trust you for them, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.